Hey, good morning. Thank you for sticking around with us as we've transitioned from singing and worship um, to now going to worship the Lord through the Word of God. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, why don't you grab those and go ahead and open up to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 6 through 10 this morning. Um, So before I read it and pray, um, just to catch those up, we've been walking through the book of Galatians for several months now, really seeing what God has to say to us through His Word. Um, And last week, we talked about the marks of maturity, right? What does it mean to be a spiritual or mature believer? And those three marks that we talked about that necessary for spiritual maturity are really relational in nature, not theological, not just how much information you know, but how much of that information are you living out towards your brother and your sister. And those three marks of the mature or spiritual believer are, one, how do we respond to the sins of others? How do we, number two, how do we respond to the suffering of others? And lastly, the last mark of the mature believer is how do we conduct and measure ourselves? And so um, if that is new information to you, I encourage you to go back and hear the last week's sermon because we're going to build upon that foundation today because Paul is going to continue this conversation about what it means to be a spiritual person. What does it mean to live by the spirit and not by the flesh? So read with me before we pray. Verse 6 through 10 says this. Let the one who is taught the word share all his good things with the teacher. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to the flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life from the spirit. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore... As we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would use my thoughts and my words today to accomplish your purposes, that you would move me out of the way, make your word come alive in my heart and in the hearers as well. God, would you save some today and challenge, convict, and encourage us all. In the precious name of Jesus, amen and amen. Before we dive into the text today, let me start by asking a simple question. What is the best piece of advice that you've ever been given around money? What's the best piece of money advice that you've ever been given? Now, if you're like me, you probably thought of some of the worst pieces of advice that you've ever been given regarding money. Um, because for some reason, when you ask a friend of yours whether you should buy this or buy that, the answer is always yes. Um, they're always willing to spend your money when it's not their money. They always think it's a good idea. So throwing away all that bad advice, what is the best advice you've ever given regarding money? Um, Now, in a a prior life, I was in the business world, and I actually was an investment advisor and was studied in all these complicated schemes about managing and saving, preserving wealth. But honestly, the best piece of advice I've ever been given during money is a simple phrase that I heard from an older gentleman. He says, when you're trying to save money, worry about the pennies and the dollars will take care of themselves. When you're trying to save money, worry about the pennies and the dollars would take care of themselves. What is he saying? He's saying it's not the big purchases that would derail a budget. It's the little stop at the gas station. It's the little Starbucks coffee. It's that $6.99 Amazon deal that you found. It's those little things that derail our plans for ourselves when it comes to money. If we watch the little things, the big things will take care of ourselves. Now, today's message is going to be about money. Um, So before you say, oh, here we go again, another pastor talking about money, first of all, be clear. We got here because the way we preach the Word of God normally here at Radiant Church is we walk through line by line, verse by verse, the Scripture of, of God. 
And so when the Bible talks about race and injustice, we will talk about race and injustice. When the Bible talks about family and children, we will talk about family and children. And when the Bible talks about money, we will talk about money because we want to unfold and submit ourselves to the whole counsel of God's word. But if we're honest, and if we've been paying attention, the New Testament is full and replete of examples about money. 800 times money is mentioned in the New Testament. 2,000 times money and possessions is mentioned in the entire New Testament. 11 out of the 39, 40 parables that Jesus shared were regarding the use of money. So money was talked about a lot. Jesus talked about money more than talked about heaven, hell, or faith even. Why did Jesus talk so much about money? Why is, does the Word of God talk so much about money? Well, two things. One is, it's not really about money. It's about our heart. You see, the other reason why money is talked about a lot is because there's, a, there's no greater shortcut to our values and priorities than determining how we spend what's ours. How we spend our money, how we spend our time. That actually shows what we value in life. And so God and his word wasn't just talking about money. He was actually talking about us and our hearts, using money as a shortcut to show us what's really happening in our hearts. And so Paul is going to do the same thing in Galatians chapter 6. He's going to talk about money in the context of the spiritual life because maturity looks a certain way and how we treat all, of thing, all the things that God gives us, especially our money. And so we're going to see three things in verses 6 through 10 of Galatians chapter 6. One is we're going to see a command. God, is going to, God is, through his word, is going to give us something that we must do. And he's going to build that command upon the second thing, which is a principle. And then he's going to point towards the last thing we're going to see in Galatians 6, which is a promise. A command, a principle, and a promise. Let's start with the command. Let the one who is taught the word share all his good things with the teacher. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the teacher. Now, there is a temptation here to over-spiritualize this. If you were to look this up in commentaries, um, even theologians and scholars disagree with what Paul is doing here. Because verse 5 is talking about this eternal hope that we have, and Galatians chapter 5 was talking about this fruit of the Spirit versus the fruit of the flesh. It seems almost out of place for Paul to get so practical so quickly. But I believe what Paul is doing is he's giving us some marks and measures to determine where we are in our spiritual life. And the first way is through the command of let those who receive the word share with the one who's sharing the word with us. And that means exactly what it sounds like it means. It means if someone is feeding your spirit and your soul, you should be coming out of your pocket to support that ministry. Now, I didn't say that. God said that, right? But if you are part of a church, if you are part of a missionary organization, if you want to see the gospel go forth, the people who preach the gospel need to eat too, amen? The people who preach the gospel, the, the missionaries who take the gospel around the world, they have families and children as well. And so there's this practical reality where we value so much the word going forth throughout the globe, but also going forth in our context, in our city, that we as Christians take it upon ourselves to bear that weight, to bear that weight and say, we want to see the gospel go forward, and so we will support the ministry. Now, the command can't stand on its own because there's a deeper principle right here. Look at verse 7 and 8, which highlights the principle that the command is built upon. It says, don't be deceived. 
God is not mocked, for whatever a person sows, he will also reap, because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. I'm going to look at verse 8 in just a second, but let's zoom in to verse 7. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he shall reap. Now, this is really strong language. It's almost hard to understand in the English. This word, God will not be mocked, that word mocked, is only used one time in the entire New Testament right here. And it literally means to turn up your nose against God, to look down on him from your posture of superiority. And God is saying, you're not going to do that to God, because what you put into the ground is what you're going to get out of the ground. What you put into your spiritual life is what you're going to get out of your spiritual life. He's saying this principle of sowing and reaping. And honestly, this isn't a foreign concept to us, is it? If you're an athlete, if you're a musician, if you're a student, if you're a parent, we all know that in order to get things out of life, we need to put things into life. We need to put practice and gym time into our athletics if we were going to reap a championship. We need to put time and practice into something in order to reap the benefits of it. And Paul is saying, the Word of God is saying, that the same is true of your spiritual life. Now, this is hard for us because, if we're honest, most of our lives are built around the accumulation of wealth, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, think about how much time you spend at your job. You don't go to work every day because you like those people, amen? Praise God for those who do. (laughs) You don't work overtime because you don't want to go home to your family. You didn't go to college just because you loved paying lots of money to read books. We did these things so that we could achieve a greater earning potential for the most part and and do the things that God has called us to do and be able to support ourselves at the meantime. So these aren't bad things. But this money that we've worked so hard for, it's very telling about the state of our souls and the condition of our hearts, what we do with it. It's very telling about what we value when the money that we've worked so hard for, that we've sacrificed for, what do we do with it when it's ours? Let me give you an example. At the end of the month, whatever money is left over after you paid your, your bills and your, and your mortgage and your light bill and your rent, whatever it takes, that money that's left over, whether you realize it's there or not, what do you do with it? And the Word of God is saying you can actually look at your budget to determine where your God is. You can look at what you're investing in. Is it a hobby? Is it crafts? Is it retirement? Is it a vacation? None of these things are bad. When they become the sole determiner of where our money goes, we are in trouble because the Word of God is clear that we will reap what we sow. Some of us are in a place weird, that's a, in a weird place right now spiritually. Maybe in the, in the coronavirus and the pandemic has just only made it worse. Some of us, we're we're battling with sin and temptation right now. We feel stuck and in bondage to sin. We love Jesus. We are born again, blood-bought, filled with the Holy Ghost, and yet we still seem to be stuck in this pattern of sin. Whether it be anger, whether it be worry, whether it be pornography or other things that beset us, we love the Lord, but we feel stuck. And for many of us, maybe it's not sin that we're stuck in, Maybe it's just things have changed. We used to read the Bible all the time, and it came alive, and we were excited, and we're not excited anymore. Maybe our prayer time feels like we're just talking to an empty room. Maybe that that vitality of the spiritual life that we once had is no longer there, and we're wondering, what changed? What happened? Seed time and harvest happened. 
There's been times in my own life, even recently, where I have felt that. Maybe I couldn't point to a particular sin, but it just, my Christian life began to feel bland. It began to feel unsatisfying. It, it used to have a vibrancy and a life to it, and now it just felt like a duty. Like I woke up and read because that was what I was supposed to do. I read the Bible because that was what I was supposed to do. I prayed because that was what I was supposed to do. And the joy of the Christian life began to fade away. What's happening, if I'm honest, if I were to look back at my weeks and months prior to that moment of feeling, I can actually see what went wrong. Because I noticed a pattern that when I feed the flesh, I reap of the flesh. And when I feed the Spirit, I reap of the Spirit. When I pour my time and energy and money into what God says is important, I will actually reap the right affections for the things of God. When I pour my time into movies and TV and Instagram and Facebook and Netflix, I will reap more of me and not more of God. And I'm going to be honest, I'm trying to get rid of me, not get more of me. I'm trying to get my life filled with God's life, not more of me. But God is putting a principle here that you will get out of the Christian life what you put into the Christian life. If you sow laziness and apathy and inconsistent spiritual disciplines, you will reap that. Let me be, side point here. Some of us struggle with daily disciplines. It is the sign of the immature believer when we pray when we feel like it. It is the sign of the immature believer that we read the Bible when we feel like it. It's not a bad thing. It's just where you are. We've all been there. Kind of being led by the Spirit, being led by what we feel like we should do that day. It's a sign of maturity when you move your heart to where it should be. The immature Christian says, I'm going to pray when I feel like it. The mature believer says that I'm going to pray now so that I feel like it. I'm going to obey the Scriptures, trusting that the Lord will change my heart as I obey. Matthew 6, 21, um, that whole passage about storing up treasure in heaven, Jesus says that where your treasure is, your heart will be there also. That's true. And once again, don't over-spiritualize what treasure means. Treasure means money. Treasure means money. It's not what you love. It's not what you like. It's what you take out of your pocket and put into something else. So where you spend your money, there your heart will be also. The principle is true as well, that where you set your affections and your time to is where your heart will be also. Now, that's a helpful diagnostic tool, isn't it? We can use that to determine where our heart is and almost use it as a way to look back. And I encourage you to do that, by the way. Look at every purchase that you've made in the last 30 days. Go to log into your bank account online, log into your Amazon shopping cart, if all your money goes to Amazon like me and others. Um, log in and just say, okay, if I had to put a, a, a two columns, feeding the spirit, feeding the flesh, and I put every purchase into one of those two categories, how would those categories stack up over the last 30 days? No neutral, because feeding the flesh isn't always sin. It's just not feeding the spirit. So if you had to put every purchase that you've made in the last 30 days into two columns, would it be feeding the flesh or feeding the spirit? Now, if we're honest, the way you feel right now about the word of God and the people of God and the things of God is probably in perfect alignment to where you've been spending your resources. That's just the way it is. 
But Matthew 6, 21 is not just a, a, a diagnostic tool. It's actually a hopeful promise that you can actually shift where your heart is by shifting where your treasure is. If you do that diagnostic and you realize, like, man, I am feeding the flesh, and I actually feel the weight of reaping from the flesh. My affections for the Word are dull. My love for the things of God are lukewarm. If you feel that weight, you can actually shift your affections by shifting how you spend your time and your money. We know that to be true, don't we? Some of the reason we, some of the reason, well, we used to go to the gym. Some of the reasons we used to go to the gym when we could go to the gym wasn't because we loved working out. It was because we're paying that $19.99, that $29.99, whatever it is. That money is coming out of our bank account, and I want to get the full value of what I'm paying for, and so I make myself do the thing that I don't want to do. Some of you, when you're starting a new workout plan at home, you buy new clothes. Why? Because I don't want to work out, but I love wearing new clothes. (laughs) So if I buy new clothes, there's some excitement for me. The same is true in our spiritual lives. When's the time you got really excited about buying a new study Bible? To ignite your affections for the things of the Lord. When's the last time you, you logged in and bought some spiritual resources to feed your soul so that you put your money where you hope your heart will catch up to one day? The one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. Now, it's very clear that we understand what these words mean, because we're going to hear two words that sounds like we're talking about eternity, and I don't think that's what Paul is talking about. Reaping destruction from sowing in the flesh and also reaping eternal life, in verse 9, for sowing to the Spirit. I don't think what Paul is talking about is heaven or hell, because he's talking to believers, After chapter 3, he made the shift to talking about being saved by Jesus, now to living for Jesus. And so he's talking to believers here, and I don't think he's talking about going to hell if you sow to the flesh. He's talking about destruction. He's talking about our growth being stunted and deformities in our spiritual life. Yes, you're still a son. Yes, you're still a daughter. But you're not the daughter that you could be. You're not the son that you could be. And it's not a matter of punishment. It's a matter of God not giving us the rewards that come with obedience and only come with obedience. I have two sons, one five years old and one one-year-old. Um, and my, my five-year-old is awesome, named Ezra. Um, and there are things that he does that doesn't deserve punishment, but it holds me back from giving him a reward. And parents, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Like, I, you ain't going to catch these hands for doing that. But the thing that I thought I was going to do for you, maybe I'm not going to do. And you didn't even know I was going to do it. Right? I think sometimes, I mean, I get excited about Ezra getting excited, and so I like buying him new toys and new things. And so I think in my mind, like, man, I should get him a new thing. He would love it. And then I see the selfishness that he has towards his little brother and when he tries to play with his toys. And I say, you know what? I actually think I would be encouraging selfishness and idolatry if I got him this new toy. Because I see what he's doing with the toys he already has. So he doesn't get in trouble, but he misses out on a blessing. And I believe this reaping of the spirit and reaping of the, of the flesh is what God is doing as a good father. You see, some of the things that we are praying for, church, God says, man, if I gave that to them, it would actually destroy them. I can't give them this reward of faith because what they're doing with what they have now shows that they can't be trusted with what's next. 
And so honestly, once again, God isn't punishing us. God isn't mad at us in Christ Jesus, but he withholds the good things from us so those good things don't destroy us. I wouldn't buy my five-year-old son uh, a Mustang GT. It's a really nice car. But a Mustang GT in the hands of a five-year-old would be pure chaos and destruction. I would go to jail for what he did because that was my fault, not his. Honestly, if we're honest with ourselves, God treats us the same way. He says, I know what you're praying for. You're praying for this promotion. You're praying for this opportunity. You're praying for this relationship. But if I gave you this thing, it would actually destroy you because look at what you're doing with your stuff and your singleness and your resources and your time now. And so God, being the good father that he is, doesn't want us to continue to reap destruction because we are sowing to the flesh. But the Lord says... If we will sow to the Spirit, we will reap eternal life. Once again, destruction doesn't mean hell, and eternal life doesn't mean heaven here. Eternal life is what God says, that when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he's saying that I am eternal life. And so when you reap eternal life, you reap God's presence in you. Cutting away of you and cutting away of me and my sinful nature and desires and a filling of the presence and power of Jesus. That's what it means to reap according to the Spirit. It means for the life of Jesus to be lived through us. But in order to reap that, we must sow spiritual work. We must not just pray and read and fellowship when we feel like it. We must pray and read and fellowship so that we feel like it. Moving our heart after obedience, not as a prerequisite to obedience. And that's what it means to grow up in the faith and to be the spiritual person. So the command, come out of your pocket so that the gospel will go forward. That doesn't mean anything other than what it means. It means to financially support the ministry of the gospel, whether in the local church and global missions and and campus ministries at your church, support the word of God going forth financially. That's the command. Verses 7 and 8 talk about the principle that supports that commands that you will sow to the Spirit and reap eternal life, the life of God in you, or you will sow to the flesh and you will reap destruction, stunted growth, missed opportunity. Verses 9 and 10 end with a promise. We've seen a command, we've seen a principle, and now we're going to see a promise. Read with me verses 9 and 10. Let us not get tired of doing good. For we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Let's start at verse 9 and see what the Word of God has to say for us. Let us not get tired of doing good. Now, that may seem strange to the casual hearer. Like, what does it mean, get tired of doing good? Surely no one would get tired of doing good until you try doing good for a long time and you get tired of it, right? anything, the way we are wired is anything good becomes old news to us after time. Think about the best vacation that you've had. Think about the best experience that you've had. Think about something that you waited for your whole life to get. Now that you've got it, how do you feel? Do you feel equally as excited, equally as enthusiastic? Probably not, because what kills enthusiasm is time. There is a weariness that comes from doing even the right thing over time. And God is saying, don't get tired as in don't stop moving forward in faith. Don't stop sowing according to the Spirit. Don't stop prioritizing things of God even when it gets hard. 
all my college seniors, those who just graduated, or those who are looking at graduation on the horizon. Um, this pandemic has made college life really weird. But for those who've gone to college, even those who've graduated years ago, you remember that year or two after graduation? It's kind of a weird, almost barren desert experience, isn't it? You used to have all these friends. You used to connect with all these people. And now all of a sudden, people are hard to find. Relationships are hard to keep up with. I mean, I think about friends that I had 10, 15 years ago, and we hung out every day. Now, I'd be lucky if I talked to them a couple times a year. Why? Did I not love them as brothers? No. Did we stop liking each other? No, but it got hard to maintain relationships when, you know, you, that person started working and then that person got married and this person moved across the country, and it got hard to even do the things that we wanted to do. And for those who just graduated college seniors, don't stop prioritizing community just because you got to schedule it. Don't stop prioritizing the Word of God just because it doesn't come as organically, just because you got to wake up in the morning to go to work. And for all of us, don't stop doing the right thing just because it gets hard to do over a season. Don't stop sowing to the Spirit even after the excitement and enthusiasm wears off, and it's just hard. Why? Because at the proper time, we will reap. I was never a farmer, but I grew up on a farm. I was just too young to do any work, praise God. Um, And I remember faint images of having to grow stuff in the, in the yard. And some of you may know farmers. Some of you may have gardens yourselves, and you know that toiling in the soil is hard work. One, there's no shade on a farm. Just think about that for a second. There's no trees. So you're just in the sun all day long, bent over usually, working tools. Farming and planting is hard work. Why does anybody do that? For the harvest, y'all. <laughs> Because the harvest is coming. The reward of your investment is coming. So even if you're not a farmer, why should you save for retirement? Why take money out of your pocket right now to invest in the future version of you 20 years from now? Because the harvest is coming. Not only will you get that money back, but you will get it back with interest. We're being really practical here because I want you to see the benefit of investment isn't momentary pleasure, but future righteousness. Yes, it's going to be a sacrifice of time now to wake up a little bit earlier and get in your word. Yes, it's going to be a sacrifice of time now to not catch up on that show, but to spend time connecting with your brothers and sisters. Yes, it is going to be a sacrifice. It's going to take time and money out of your life right now, but the harvest is coming if we keep going. And honestly, during this season of quarantine, during this season of physical distancing, not social distancing, we want to be connected socially, but physically we must be distant and separate from one another. During this season, every believer should be putting seed in the ground right now. This is the time. As crazy as life is right now, one day it'll go back to being full again. One day your calendars will be consumed again. One day life will rear back up and you will be bearing the fruit of what you did during this season. So what kind of fruit were you going to bear a year from now looking at what you're doing right now? Will you reap destruction because you've invested in Netflix and Instagram? Or will you reap eternal life, the life of God in you because you were getting on your face, you were getting in your word, and you were getting around your brothers and sisters. A year from now, 
will be lar- our Christian lives will be largely dependent upon what we did in these months. See, just like working out, if you want to get in, sh- if you want to get in shape for that, that reunion that you have next year, you need to start today. The old quote that says the best time to plant a tree is 10 years ago. The second best time to plant a tree is today. So if we're honest, we all have not been doing this well. We have not been investing in our spiritual lives well, and we wish we'd have done things 10 years ago very differently. Amen? There's a couple of people I would have not engaged, a couple of relationships I would have saved myself from, a couple of summers I wouldn't have wasted on dumb stuff. Like, we would have all gone back so that we could be reaping different things right now. But we can't change that, but we can change what we do today. After this live stream is over, you're going to have a choice what to do with your Sunday afternoon. Will you plant that tree? Will you plant that seed of faith by sowing into your spirit today? Or will you say, okay, good, woof, done the Christian thing for this week? Back to life as normal. That's what it means to sow to the spirit. Now, verse 10, as we wrap up, it says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Now, this is right before Paul's concluding remarks, and I think he's tying up not just this section, but he's tying up everything that we've been walking through in Galatians 5 and 6, about serving one another, about carrying the burdens of one another, about entering into our brokenness, about, about being, bearing the fruit of the Spirit. He's tying up all of those thoughts in this one profound statement that let us do good for all. What does that mean? We don't understand, understand what that means. We got to go back to Genesis chapter 1, which says that all men and women were created in the image of God, the Christian concept of the imago Dei, that every human being has the imprint and emblem and stamp of divinity upon them, and so they are worthy of dignity, honor, value, and respect. You're born with that. You don't earn it. You don't have to do anything for it. Because you are made in the image of God, you are treated as precious and valuable. And that's why we must do good for all, not those who we think deserve it, not those who we think did the right things, not those who are purely innocent, but we must do good for all. And really, this idea of doing good for all is where the idea of social justice comes from. It's where the idea of mercy comes from, the idea of doing good on behalf of even those who we think don't deserve it. Even those who should have lived different lives, who should have made better choices, we believe that even those should be treated well because that's what God did for us. But Paul's going to put a finer point on that. We don't want to just be good people doing good things, although that's part of it. We must also be God's people who take care of God's people. Do good to all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. What does that mean? It means Christians especially you need to be looking out for. During the season of quarantine, we need to be doing good to our neighbors. We need to be doing good in our city, but we need to be picking up the phone and checking on our Christian brothers and sisters. We need to be looking for opportunities to serve our radiant brothers and sisters, especially prioritizing their welfare, because these are the people that God has given us charge over. Church, as I wrap up, the Word of God simply says this. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. We've got to prioritize the Word of God, not just theoretically, but financially, and how we spend our time, talents, and treasure. 
because that's where our heart is, which also means we can move our heart by investing our time and our money differently. And we've got no choice because the, the command is clear. We must support the gospel going forth. We must support the man or woman who preaches the word of God. We must support missionaries around the world. We must support local churches. We must support campus ministries. We must support anywhere where the gospel is being preached. Christians must take upon the responsibility of themselves to make sure that it keeps going. Why? Because the principle of sowing according to the Spirit, which is how we get to live our own lives day to day. Even in this moment, we can choose what we do this afternoon, whether we're going to sow according to the flesh or sow according to the Spirit. Because at the end of the day, we will reap that harvest, and it'll be a matter of which, which harvest did we reap. Destruction, stunted spiritual growth, or the life of God living in us. Let me give a final thought before I pray. Today's message was a conversation to believers on how to live a life of faith. If you don't know Jesus Christ, don't take away, give us your money. Take away, without Christ, nothing you do will be good. Without turning from your sin and putting your faith in Jesus Christ, none of the gifts of time or treasure will account and credit righteousness to your account. Because your problem isn't that you're not generous. Your problem isn't that you're selfish. Your problem is you have rejected Jesus. And there's don't pass go, don't collect $200. Repent and put your faith in Jesus. Then allow his life to live in you through obedience.